Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then let's look at this text here in uh, Revelation chapter 2. Father, we, as we come back to Revelation and we look at these seven letters that you wrote to the church, the various churches in Asia, Lord, but really you wrote them to all your churches for all your people for all times. And there's such pertinent information in these letters. It's a great chance to, for us, Lord, to, to examine ourselves, to hear what you have to say about your churches, about your people, and see where we fit uh, in uh, that uh, description that you give of your church. Uh, Lord, uh, uh, just where we're at in our walk with you. And, and Lord, the great thing about these texts is you show us how to correct us to correct the situation if we're not walking with you as we should be. And, Lord, I think all of us are lacking to some degree. Some of us are lacking to a great degree in our walk with you. And so, Lord, this is such a personal uh, uh, message from you here in these seven letters. And I just ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit that I can make all of this clear. Through your word and your spirit, it can be clear to everyone in here. And, Lord, that, that we'll take the action that we need to take in order to ensure that, that we're the overcomers that you want us to be, that we're the victorious Christians that you want us to be, and most of all, Lord, that, that we love you in the way we should love you. Just show us where we're lacking today and show us how we can improve, and I just ask that you do that uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All of you probably remember the song from the 60s, You've Lost That Loving Feeling. You want me to sing it for you? Whoa, 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 it's gone, gone, gone. Uh, uh, and I don't know about you, but early in my life, I had some relationships where I thought, man, they were going to last forever, and then I lost that loving feeling, and it was gone, gone, gone forever. Uh, but... That can happen to believers, too, in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what happened to the church that we're going to look at today in chapter number 2, the church of Ephesus. They had lost that loving feeling for God. They had lost that first love that they had for God. And some of us had done that, too. You know, some of us, if we examine where we're at with the Lord today, it's, we're in a different relationship with him, maybe a lesser relationship with him than we were when we first were saved. And, and uh, the good news here in this text, if, if we have lost that loving feeling, the Lord's going to show us today in, in Ephesians chapter 2 just how we can uh, get that uh, feeling back. And it's more than a feeling. It's a position that we have of, a relationship that we have, a strong relationship that we want to have with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he's, again, he's going to show us how we can have that relationship uh, with him. So uh, we want to go to chapter 2 and we want to begin in verse number 1. But before I get there, I'll give you just a little bit of introduction on where we're going to be heading in the next few weeks. We'll be looking at these seven letters to the church's in Asia, and uh, uh, really to set this up, you almost have to go back to chapter one, and uh, 
when we got this description of Jesus in all of his glory, John sees Jesus in all of his glory, the, the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come, the first, the last, the alpha, the omega, almighty God. He sees him as such. And so in chapter 2 and 3, after John has seen Jesus in all of his glory, Jesus tells John, get your pen and paper out. I want you to write a letter to all the churches in Asia. And he writes these churches to the seven churches in Asia. Now, if you look on a map at all of these various churches, Ephesus, uh, Pergamos, and Thyatira, and the rest of the seven churches, you'll see that they're only a few miles apart. And they set in an area that today is modern Turkey. And so how well do you think those churches are thriving today? They're not thriving at all. Uh, they're gone. Uh, they, they didn't continue on. And so there's a really scary uh, message just in the fact that those churches don't even exist any longer. The church of God is eternal. Uh, it should go on forever. And so when you see a work of God die, then that's a very scary sight. And that doesn't just happen to churches, it happens to denominations, and more importantly, it happens to individuals. It happens to individual families. I mean, you would think as the church spread through the modern era that it would kept spreading, and some people actually still believe this is going to happen one day, and that, in, that at some point, the whole world would have been saved and the whole world would have been part of the church. But that's not what happens. There's these kind of ebbs and tides, and there's just always this falling away. Now, we've got some enemies that cause us to fall away. We've got the devil, the world, and the flesh. And all of those things work against us in our relationship to God. And so Jesus writes these seven letters to these seven churches in Asia who don't even exist anymore. But that number seven we talked about is very important because that number seven means divine completion. And so he wasn't just writing to these seven churches located within a few miles of each other. He was writing to all the churches in all of Asia, in all of the world at that particular time. But he was also writing to all the churches in every age. And he was writing more specifically to every believer in every age. And so these letters are written to you. These letters God, Jesus, gave to John to write down <coughs> so that you would have this information, so, so, so that you could <coughs> learn from what he wants us to learn from these letters. Now, there are a large, and I mentioned this in the, in the introduction to Revelation, but there are a large group of scholars who believe that these seven churches represent seven church ages. And there's some credence to that. I mean, you look at the church at Ephesus, and it very well could represent the early church. It kind of looks like the early church. You look at the church at Laodicea, and the church at Laodicea definitely looks like the apostate church in the last times. Then you go to the church of Philadelphia, 
And that church looks like the church that gets raptured in the last time. Now, if that's so, I hope I'm part of the Philadelphian church and not part of the Laodicean church. I really believe that's a picture there for us because I do believe that there will be a very small remnant of churches or believers within churches that are raptured and the rest are going to be left here and that is the Laodicean church. I mean, look with me for a minute. <coughs> Just jump ahead. <coughs> you don't have to pardon me, excuse me. <coughs> Just jump ahead to chapter number three and look at the faithful church. And listen to what, listen to what he says there. He says, he says in, in verse number 10 there, he says, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of, hour of trial, which is to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And so that looks like there is gonna, they, that particular church is going to be removed from that trial that is going to test the whole church. So historically, you could fit that <clears throat> into the church of the last days, the, the real church, the true church that's raptured out of here. But I don't go along with that historical interpretation. And, and the reason I don't, what do you do with those churches in between? How do you mark those as church ages? You understand what you do when you start doing that. You're going you're gonna to open yourself up to a lot of subjective interpretation. And if you look at those historical interpreters who interpret it that way, you're going to see all sorts of different interpretations about which of these churches represent which age and why they represent that particular age. And I, 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 really, I really don't think Jesus' purpose here was to give us a history lesson. I really don't think that's what his purpose was. And I think when you use the historical interpretation, you take away from, from his main purpose. And his main purpose in these seven letters is to encourage us, to encourage us, to rebuke us, but to encourage us to do better, to, to, to commend us. He also commends us for, for, for the things that we are doing right. And so I think that these letters are written not just to... To, to the church at, uh, I don't think that these letters are, hit, are, represent just the church ages, but they represent just about every church in every age. I mean, the church in, in, in uh, Ephesus during this time was going through a great tribulation. The church in Philadelphia and Laodicea was going through a great tribulation. All seven of these churches were facing the the there was a world persecution taking place by the emperor Domitian. And so they were all suffering during this time. And God, I think, encourages them. And when he speaks to the church of Philadelphia, he says, because you're doing so well and you're persevering through this, I'm going to keep you from this trial that's come upon the world, this, this, this persecution of Domitian. I mean, every age there's been some kind of persecution of the church. And, 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 and so that encouragement there that you see for the church of Philadelphia, you could apply that to any age. I believe that these letters speak to every church, every denomination, every individual of every age. Now, maybe there's some cryptic meaning uh, to this that you can impute that, 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 that makes this uh, applicable to the various church ages, but I'm going to stay away from that because I want to look at this, these seven letters, and I want to see what they, I want to hear what they have to say to me. 
What does Jesus want to say to me? And I got to tell you something. I can read all seven of these letters, and in every one of them, he speaks to me. Even when he speaks of the lukewarm church, he speaks to me. He certainly speaks to this church. He certainly speaks to the church in America today. And if America, he, spoke, he would have spoke to the church in America 200 years ago. Because there's always been lukewarm believers. There's always been, uh, there's been times in my life and in your life when we've been kind of lukewarm toward the, towards the Lord. And so I think all of these letters are pertinent to us and, and uh, that's why they're so important. I really believe they're important. It's almost if the Lord comes into this room or you open up your mailbox and there's a letter to you from Jesus Christ and he wants to speak to you. He's got something he wants to say to Calvary Chapel. He's got something he wants to say to the church in America. He's got something he wants to say to you in every one of these letters. If you'll look at those letters that way, instead of saying, well, that really, Ephesus doesn't really apply to us, that applies to the early age. Well, if you look at those letters as saying these letters are applicable to me, you're going you're to glean a lot of really good stuff in, in, in these uh, seven letters. Now, there's something that, again, tells me that these letters were uh, intended for all of us and for every age because there's a pattern in each of these letters, a very similar pattern. Uh, the first thing that Jesus does, he identifies himself. And in every letter, he identifies himself in a unique way. So in every letter, we're going to learn something unique about Jesus Christ. Uh, some of this we've already looked at in the first chapter, but you put it all together, number seven, you get the divine completion. You get a complete picture of who Jesus Christ is through these letters. So that's one thing. In each letter, he gives a commendation. He begins with a phrase, he says, I know your works. I know the good things that you're doing. And then he talks about, there's an exception, one of the churches he doesn't do that, and there'll be exceptions to some of these. But in, in almost all of these letters, he says, I know your works. And then he describes the good things that they're doing. But then in each letter, in, except maybe one, or I think there's maybe two letters he doesn't give a rebuke and a warning, but he gives, in most of these letters, he gives a rebuke and a warning, and he, and he begins with these words. He says, I have this against you. And I believe if Jesus was here today, he would point the finger, and he would say, George, I have this against you. Winford, I have this against you. Ken, I have this against you. Look, we're not perfect. We're far from perfect. We're far from where the Lord wants us to be. And so we want to look at these letters very seriously and ask the Lord, what are you saying to me and what do I need to do in order to improve my relationship with you so I can improve my service to you? And so he gives this rebuke and this warning but here's the really neat thing. In each letter, he gives us the instructions on how we can fix what's lacking. He'll show you what's lacking in your life, but he will also tell us how we can fix what's lacking in our life. And then he describes the rewards that are waiting for those who repent and do things his way. There are great rewards waiting for those who take these letters seriously and do what the Lord calls us to do. And then in each letter, and I, I mention this because 
again, I think it gives credence to the fact that these letters were written to all of us. In every letter, he names his audience. And listen to how he names his audience. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, you don't have to think too uh, long to figure out what he's saying there. When, you, when he says, uh, to him who has an ear, let him hear to what the Spirit says to the churches, you got the word Spirit there. How can we hear what the Spirit has, says to the churches if we have the Spirit of God in us? So when he says, to, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear, he's speaking to all of us. If you're here today and you're born again, you have an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you're not born again, wait till we get to the book, to the seventh letter and the church of Laodicea, and he'll tell you what to do in order so that you can have an ear. He'll knock on your door until you open the door and let him come in. That's basically what he'll tell you. All right, now, so he's speaking to born-again believers, and these letters are so important to us because I've got to tell you what, man, I, get, I, I have to spend a lot more time in this than y'all do and look at it a lot harder and ponder it a lot more than you do. And just his first letter kind of threw me for a loop. It threw me back and made me analyze where I'm at in my walk with the Lord right now. Because all of us are doing some bad things. Hey, we're doing some good things. Some of you are doing some good things, a few of you. Hopefully all of you are doing some good things. But we all have room, uh, lots of room for improvement. And Jesus is going to show us how to improve in our service and relationship to him. And so these letters are so important. So again... If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 2 and look in verse number 1. Revelation chapter 2, verse number 1. He says to the angel. Now, I don't think he's talking about a heavenly angel here. We talked about this earlier. That's the same word again that, that uh, John used in the Gospel of John to refer to the messengers that John the Baptist sent to Jesus to see if Jesus was really the Messiah. And, and that word was, that's that same word. And I, I think he's talking about messengers here, to the messenger of the church. And more than likely, that's the pastors and elders of the church. In other words, I'm handing this letter to you to give to your church. To the, angels, uh, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven gold golden lampstands. So the first church that we look at here, the first letter that we look at here is sent to the church at Ephesus. Now I'm not going to go into a long introduction. Last time we, we went through Revelation, I did go through a long introduction on the, on the church at Ephesus. It's a fascinating study. If you want to go back and listen to the tape from the first time when, when uh, we were in Revelation, I, again, I went through it a lot more. I don't have time to do that today, so I'm not going to do it. But very, uh, let me kind of summarize what happened. More than likely, you remember, you've heard of Priscilla and Aquila in the Bible. They were at Pentecost, and they heard that great sermon preached by Peter. And they went back home to Ephesus, and they started a work of God. And it was some kind of work of God. 
It was a booming church. Paul heard about it, so on his third missionary journey, he goes to the church of Ephesus. He writes a letter to the church at Ephesus. He nurtures the church at Ephesus. And what's really cool about this is John, after he left the Isle of Patmos, he went and became pastor of the church of Ephesus for the last few years before he died. And so this is a church that's rich in history. It was a church that was doing all sorts of wonderful things for the Lord. And, and, and we'll get back to what they were doing here in just a minute. But, but listen to the first description that Jesus gives of himself to the seven churches. He says, I'm the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now, we have commentary on that in chapter 1, verse number 20. He told us who the seven, lamps, who the seven uh, uh, stars are. They're the seven angels. They're the messengers. They're, I, I think he's referring to all the pastors and leaders of the church. And so he says, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Why his right hand? Because his right hand is his hand of power. And, and any pastor, any elder, any leader, any minister knows that your power to minister comes from the Lord, from his right hand of power. And so he holds us in his right hand. And that's where we get the power to do the things that he's called us to do. If you're in service to the Lord, you're in his right hand. And we know that the seven golden lampstands for chapter 1, verse 20, we know that they're what? They are the churches, the churches that are giving forth the light of God. And so where's he at in the church? Where's he at? When you look at the lampstands, you look at the lampstands, and where's Christ? When you're looking at the churches, where is he? He's in the midst of the seven lampstands. He's walking in the midst of the seven lampstands. Look, if this stuff is boring you today, you better listen really carefully. You better listen really carefully. Because it's probably going to speak to you more than it's going to speak to somebody else. This is serious stuff. I mean, I, 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 really, I, really, I really get taken back sometimes that of the apathy and the, the, the disinterest in these things. And it really, I get taken back because it worries me about your soul. It worries me about where you're at with the Lord that you, these things don't, don't touch you or reach you. And I'm, you know, I'm saying this in love. You, you need to take this stuff seriously. You need to take it a lot more seriously than you take your job. You need to take it a lot more seriously than you take your entertainment. You need to take this stuff seriously. Because the time is short. Look at what's happening over there in Houston. If that doesn't wake you up, then nothing's going to wake you up that the time is near. And we better get really serious about this stuff. Man, I'm sorry I went off on that. but Man, I, I am so encouraged. When I look at this text and Jesus tells me that he walks in the middle of the lamps, in the midst of the lampstands, in the midst of his churches. Let me tell you one reason you better take this seriously. He's here. Right this very moment. He sees you. He sees your heart. He sees your attitude. He's here. 
And you break his heart when you don't care. And, and he's, that encourages me that he's here. You know, I'll come here on Wednesday night and there might be five or six of us, seven or eight of us, but man, I'm encouraged because he's there. He's in the midst of his people. He's in the midst of his church. He's walking in the midst of his church. He's always there. And that encourages me. And we're his lampstands. I mean, we're, we're the lamps. He gives us the oil for our lights, and we burn the light of his glory. We emanate his glory to this world. If we're really truly born again, if we're truly living in a right relationship with the Lord, we're, we're very important to what he's doing in this world. And if he's not in our midst, and I guarantee you there's churches here in, in, in Lafayette, and there's people in this room, he's not in your midst. There's people, there's churches today, he's not walking in their midst. But if he's in your midst, then he gives us the power of his Holy Spirit to do all things through him. And, you know, again, I mentioned earlier there's like 500 references to the Old Testament, the Revelation, and this fits perfectly with a reference over in Zechariah. So I want you to flip there with me for a minute to the book of Zechariah. And go to chapter number four. Let me kind of set the setting for this. And, and, you, and you're going to see, it's just a great application here that kind of gives us interpretation of what we're looking at in verse uh, what verse are we on? In verse number one of uh, chapter three of Revelation, we get some interpretation here. And that's why I wanted to go back and look at this. This is so important. This is so important to every believer. Look, if all you do is go to church and all you do is, is call yourself a Christian, you're missing out. You're not there. And God got good plans for you. He's got great plans for you. But you got to get this principle down that he's showing us right here. What had happened, you remember the Israelites had gone into captivity. Uh, the Babylonians had destroyed Jerusalem and taken them off into captivity. And they'd been in captivity for 70 years. Then the Persians destroyed the Babylonians. And King Cyrus became king over the Persian Empire. And it's really interesting. He, it's act, there's actually prophecies about him becoming king and doing the Lord's work. And he actually does the Lord's work. I mean, here's this pagan king and he does the Lord's work. And what he does, he gives a decree that allows the Israelites to go back to Israel and back to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple. Now that was a wonderful thing. And there were millions of Israelites scattered throughout the land and let me tell you what, 40,000 of them decided to go back. 40,000 of them cared enough to go back. But one of them's name was Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was appointed governor. He was a grandson of Jeconiah, who was a really bad king. 
but he was a good, godly man. And Cyrus appointed him to go down there and lead the re reconstruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And he got to Jerusalem. And it, it would be sort of like taking a trip over to Houston today and looking at that destruction and God tells you, I want you to fix all this. And, and, and so Zerubbabel lands in Jerusalem and he looks at the state of the temple and the state of the city and he throws up his hands and says, I can't do anything about this. And so God gives him a vision and he gives it to him through the prophet Zechariah. And that's the vision that we're looking at. And listen to what it says. It says, now the angel who walked with me and this is Zechariah speaking, came back and wakened me as a man who was wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I am looking and there is a lampstand. See, there, there's the lampstand of solid gold. Same lampstand, one of the lampstands that, that uh, uh, John saw. But there was no church at this time. And so you're not going to see seven lampstands. This application is for an individual, but the principle is the same. Our application that we're looking at in Revelation is for the churches, but for the individuals in the churches too. So the individual application is the same. And so he said, what do you see? And so he said, I'm looking at a lampstand, a solid gold with a bowl on top of it. Now we get a little more information here because they didn't know about Jesus then. And so it's going to be given to us with some really, uh, I'm not going to get into all the explanations, some, some really uh, strange stuff. Let me put it that way. He says, of solid gold with a bowl on top of it and on the seven lamps and were, it had stand with, with seven pipes to the seven lamps. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. And then two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. Now, what did they use olives for besides salads? That's all we use them for now. But what, did, what was their main usage of olives in that culture? They pressed it for their oil. And so this is definitely a picture of oil. Now, what's oil always represent in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. It's always symbolic of of the Holy Spirit. And so he's talking about the Holy Spirit here is giving these oil their lamp. I mean, these lamps, the, giving the oil, the Holy Spirit is giving the oil to the lamps, which is giving out the light. So I answered and I spoke to the angel who walked with me saying, what are these, my Lord? And he's not going to say the church because there was no church. Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. No way Zechariah is going to know what they are. But now, here's what they were doing. And here's the principle that I want you to see. A principle that we all need to learn. Listen to what he says. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. This vision is the word I want you to give to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by your power can you fix any of this. But by the Spirit, says Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies of heaven, I will be there with you. 
And, and you're, you'll be able to say, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone. In other words, he's going to set the capstone for the temple. He will rebuild the temple with shouts, not I did it, but grace, grace, grace to it. So you see the picture that he's given us right here? I mean, here is, here is Zerubbabel. I mean, he sees this situation. He realizes there's nothing he's going to be able to do about it. He's ready to quit. And so the Lord gives him this vision through Zechariah, and the message is this. The Lord of hosts is in your midst. That's the same message John's getting now. The Lord of hosts is in the midst of his churches, and by his spirit you can do all things through God who strengthens you. You can move mountains. We see that principle over and over again in the New Testament. And that's the only way that you can do it, by grace, by shouting out grace. See, that's what, that's what Jesus is saying to us in this message here. Let's go back to Revelation in this message that I'm in your midst, that I'm there with you, that I'm there to empower you, that I'm there to, to, to give you my spirit so that you have a spirit of love, so that your light goes forth into this world. And all you have to do is to recognize that it's grace. It's not by your might nor by your power, but by the Spirit of the Lord, says the Lord of hosts. And that's the exact same message that we have right here. All right, now, go with me to verse number 2 of chapter number 2. He says, I know your works. Now, how does he know our works? What, what, what are his eyes like? Their eyes like flames of fire. Why that description? Because that means that they know his eyes see everything. They penetrate everything. Superman thought he had good eyes and nothing like the eyes of Jesus Christ. I mean, his eyes penetrate. He doesn't just see things. He sees the motives for everything that we do. He sees all our works. He knows whether they're good or bad. And he knows the motives for what we do. He says, so I know your works. He's walking. Now, you know what? Where is he? Who's he looking at? Who are his eyes on? His eyes are on you and me. His eyes are on his church. And so he says, I know your works. Uh, he, he says, your labor. Listen to this. Your patience. Man, I'm not, Ephesus certainly doesn't fit me. And you, amen, no amens on that. And you cannot bear those who are evil. Now that fits me. I am sick of this evil world. I am sick of the wickedness in this world. And the only thing that makes me sick is God's changed my heart by grace. So I can see what's right and what's wrong. And now I hate all of this wickedness in this world. And you have tested those who say they are apostles, who, who call themselves preachers and Christians, and, and run around and, and tell everybody they're a Christian, and they're not. You know they're not, because they don't really give a flip. They don't care. So they're not really Christians. They call themselves Christians, and you found them to be liars. And you have persevered. 
and have patience, and you've labored for my name's sake, and you've not become weary. Now, man, that is a pretty strong commendation of a church. I can tell you that right now. I mean, here were these people, they were living moral lives. You know they were living moral lives because they hated wickedness. They absolutely hated it. They hated the, what the wicked were doing to their world. And they were in the word and they were standing for the word. We know that because they could recognize false teachers and false believers. They could, they could spot them from a mile away. And they were laboring in his work and they weren't quitters. Like most people are quitters. Yeah, I want to do this, but then it gets to be tough and it goes on for a few days and oh, no, I don't want to do this anymore. They're quitters. And, and they hung in there. These, these weren't quitters. They hung in there no matter what. And, and here's what I really like. They labored for his name's sake, for his glory, not their own glory. I really like that. Now that sounds like a really fundamental evangelical church to me. A church that didn't have anything wrong with it. A church that would, should have lasted forever. And I got to believe that these Ephesians thought, God really likes me. I mean, I'm really well pleasing to the Lord. I'm doing his work. I don't, I hate all this wickedness. I hadn't quit on him. And he's really pleased with me. But those eyes, like a flame of fire, looked through their hearts and into their souls. And he saw something he didn't like. Saw something that was really tragic. Tragic. Look at verse number four. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. You could put it another way. You have left the love you had at first. You have not made me your first priority. You could put it that way too. You've lost that loving feeling. Oh, that loving feeling. It's gone, gone, gone. Now it's gone. You've lost your first love. You lost the love that you had for me when you were first saved. You know what that tells me? That tells me that my relationship with the Lord is much more important to the Lord than what I do for the Lord. That's what that tells me. You know what? The people who do the most for the Lord are those who have the best relationship with the Lord. But they don't reverse that. They don't do what they do to get things from the Lord. They don't do what they do so they can have a relationship with the Lord. They do what they do because they do have a great relationship with the Lord. And then he gives us the warning and the fix here in verse number five. He says, remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. 
repent, turn around, and do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. What's the lampstand give out? Light. You lose your first love with Jesus Christ, you're going to be walking in darkness. That's where you're going to be walking. There's a cost. There's a cost for losing that loving feeling. That cost is he removes the lampstand. And does that mean we lose our salvation? No. But I'll tell you what, when that light starts to go out, things start getting dark. They start getting dark in your soul. Man, if you're, if you're here today and you call yourself a Christian and you feel like you're living in darkness. Now, we live in a dark, dark world. But if you feel like you're living in darkness, I'll tell you one of the reasons is more than likely you've lost that loving feeling. And that lamp is going, going out. There's a flickering flame there and you're going to be saved as to fire. You're going to face Christ before the beam of seed and and you're not going to hear, hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, but you're going, to be, you're going to get to enter in. But you're going to be like a crispy critter when you walk into the presence of the Lord. You're going, to, you're going to have gone through the fire. There's nothing there. There's nothing there because, because you never, you lost that loving feeling. And there's no power. When that light goes out, there's no power. There's no grace. You know what? You can have, you can, when I can tell that that light's starting to dim is when I start trying to do things in my own might and strength instead of grace, grace, grace. It's by grace. And boy, when you're close to the Lord, the grace just flows out of you. And, 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 and that's when you can do something that really counts. And most importantly, when the light goes out, you have no witness. You have no witness. You have no power. You have no witness. You have no witness. Man, I don't want that, do you? So if I've lost that love and feeling, how do I get it back? Well, Jesus tells us. First of all, he says, remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Go back to the point where you lost that loving feeling. And you can figure out pretty quickly why you lost it. Your job became more important than the Lord. Sport became more important than the Lord. Other things in your life became more important than the Lord. You started trying to do things in your own might and power instead of trying to do them in the might and power of the Lord. I mean, you go back. You go back and, and, and you ponder those days when you first got saved. And you know what I remember about the first time I got saved? Let me tell you what I remember. I remember that cross. You want, to, you want to fall back in love with Jesus Christ, you go back to the cross. And you look at that cross and you realize 
that the Alpha, the Omega, the, the beginning, the end, the one who is, the one who was, the one who is to come, died for you on that cross. And you should fall in love. If that doesn't make you fall in love, nothing will. And then you, you do the first works, the things that you did when you first got saved. Look, this lesson applies to any relationship. You know, I've been called a hopeless romantic, but, but I believe that a marriage can be as good 35 years after you've been married as it was the first day you were married. I believe mine is. And there's times when you, you, you see things fading and you know what you got to do. You got to remember, what did I do back then that made it so good? I mean, I opened the door when my wife went to the car. That wasn't important to me. It was important to her. I washed the dishes every once in a while. You know, the most important thing I, I used to do, and I, I know I still need to do that, is I listened to my wife. I sat down and talked with my wife, and I listened to my wife. And I obeyed my wife. <laughs> I took her out to dinner. I gave her flowers. Bought her cheap jewelry. Still bought her cheap jewelry. The most important thing I did again, I spent time with her. I spent time with her. What were the first works we did when we were first saved? You know, if you hadn't done these, you're not saved. If you've never had a love and feeling for Jesus Christ, you're not saved. Now, I, here's what I believe. I believe that, that action follow feelings. And feelings follow actions. I mean... I get saved, I have these great feelings for the Lord and great feelings about the condition of my soul and I get saved and, and I take action on that. And that action results in something good and that gives me great feelings and so I take more action. That works in any kind of relationship. And you start, stop taking action, you're going to stop having feelings. You stop having feelings, you're going to stop taking actions. And so I go back to where I was when I was first saved. And man, I prayed to the Lord, but it wasn't, Lord, give me this, give me that, do this, do that. Uh, some rote thing about how wonderful you are. Uh, it was, man, I'm in the presence of the Lord. The Lord loves me. I love you, Lord. What do you want to say to me? I'm going to listen. Uh, and and all, all I got to do is go back and do that again. Man, I used to dig into the Word. Man, I, nothing like, I dig in it now because I got to get up and do a Sunday sermon or a Wednesday night sermon. But I dug into the Word just because I love the Lord and I want to hear from the Lord. 
Not so I could become a scholar, a Bible scholar, but so I could just hear from the Lord. And, and, and if I get back to that, and I go back to reading the Word like that, then those feelings come back. I, I gave my tithes and offerings because, man, and I didn't put it on a percentage. Lord, I just love you. I'm going to dump something in. Man, I love you. I love you. I love you. I didn't sit and calculate it, what's 10% or 20% of my income is. I'm going to do this and do that. I didn't give to the Lord because I thought the Lord was going to bless me 10 times over if I gave him something. I gave to the Lord simply because I loved him. And you got to go back and you got to do it for that reason. Because you're thankful to the Lord. Because you love the Lord. And let me tell you the byproduct of getting those feelings back. The byproduct of nurturing that relationship with the Lord is you're going to be filled with the Spirit of the Lord. And when you're filled with the Spirit of the Lord, you're not going to walk in darkness. You're going to walk in light. And none of this darkness is going to depress you or bring you down because you're in the light. And then you're going to have the power. You're going to be walking in the Spirit. You're going to be walking in the power of God. You're going to have the power to move mountains. Just as God told Zechariah to tell Zerubbabel, you can move mountains by grace, not by your might, by your power, but by my power, says the Lord of hosts. And you know what happens when we become, you know how you know you're losing that love and feeling when you become more and more religious? And boy, when you come to the point where all you have is religion, that light's gone out or it's pretty dim, the very least. There's no oil. There's no light. And the lampstand is removed. It's gone. Live out your days in futility. Live out the rest of your days in vanity and face the Lord with nothing because you let the light go out. You didn't care enough about the Lord to nurture a relationship with the Lord. You know, the devil loves religious people. He hates lovers of God. He will do, if you are trying to nurture a relationship with the Lord, he will do everything and put everything in your way he possibly can to keep you from having that strong relationship. Because in that relationship there is power. There is power. He says in verse number six, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now that's a very important topic. I'm not, I'm going to save that for when we get to the church of Pergamos, what the Nicolaitans are, and they're not some cult that was in that age. You can read all sorts of stuff about this. It's real clear what, who they are, and we'll look at that in a few weeks, but but uh, just hang on to that. That was a good thing that they hated the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. If you've been around long enough, you probably know what, what that is, and you can understand why Jesus hates it and why he commended them for hating it. Then he says, he finishes up. 
He says, he who has an ear. Who's that? That's all of us who have the Spirit of God. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, who doesn't let his light go out, who nurtures that light, who nurtures that relationship with the Lord, and he overcomes the darkness through that relationship, through having that bright light, through the power of God. I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Your light doesn't go out. Even if your light goes out, you probably get to eat there, but if you've been born again. You know, I don't believe a born-again believer's light ever totally goes out. I believe that God's still working on you if that light's ever been there. But if you, one day, one day, you're going to be in glory. Paradise is going to be restored. The place where Adam and Eve were kicked out, you're going to get to go to that place. And that tree that they ate from, you're going to get to eat from that tree. And that old tree of uh, good and evil will be sitting there just like it sat there before. And you're going to laugh when you see it. You ain't getting me to eat that. I've seen what's happened over these 6,000 years since Adam and Eve ate that. And you'll have a glorified body, an eternal body with an eternal soul. And you will eat from the tree of life. Let me tell you what, that's only symbolic of who? Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He who eats of my body and drinks of my blood, he shall have eternal life. It's his life that he gives us. Precious, precious life. You know, as I said earlier, if you're here today and well, you say, well, I, I really never had that love and feeling. I worry about you. I really worry about you. I worry if you've ever really known the Lord. To know the Lord is to love the Lord. It's, you you, you got to humble yourself. you got to come to a place where you hate yourself and you love God to even get saved. And if you're here today and you say, man, I've got it. I've never lost any of it. I'm stronger now than I ever was. Then you're more than likely a liar. <laughs> but but if, you're, if you can say that, more power to you. You fooled me. I mean, I don't know many people like that. I think we all fit in this church of Ephesus. We've all let all of this junk of this world come into our lives and mess with our relationship with the Lord. We've let our religion mess with our relationship with the Lord. And the most important thing to him is our love, our time, our service, our giving, all done in love for him. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the fact that you would take the effort and time to 
write a letter way back in John's day that would speak to us here in the 21st century, just as loud and clear as it spoke back then. Lord, I know I've lost some of that loving feeling, and I know there's people in here who have too, and I just ask today, Lord, that we, we look around this world and see how serious things are getting, how close we are to judgment and your coming, and Lord, we want to be part of that Philadelphia church that escapes that wrath that is to come. Not the Laodicean church, Lord, that will be here. So, Lord, I ask you to help us all to just take things a lot more seriously, to take our relationship with you a lot more seriously. Lord, we want to... We want to live life pleasing to you. We realize what you've done for us and what you want to do for us and how you want to use us in your kingdom. And so I just ask today that we take these words to heart. And I just ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.